0: Good day, everybody. This is Mark Anthony Williams here with So You Want to Be a Safety Professional. Today's topic is Keep Calm and Safety On, Navigating Emergency Management in the EHS World, and who better to talk about this than Mr. Gene Norman. He is an experienced weather professional with over 25 years experience, and he's now representing a weather services company. So I figured he'd be the best person to tell us about emergency management when it comes to surveyor weather protocols. Hey, Gene, how you doing? I'm doing just fine,
1: Mark Anthony. It's a pleasure to join you today. Uh, we connected first on LinkedIn, and Good. I was really excited to learn that you're doing something like this. I don't know that there are many other uh, podcasts <laughs> aimed at EHS folks, so I'm right. really, uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing some information with you and learning more about your audience.
0: Awesome! I'm glad to hear it. We're pioneers in this field, right? So, my first question for Eugene is do you think that EHS professionals are adequately trained to handle large scale emergencies and disasters? And if they're not like, where are the gaps?
1: Right. So in my role now, I I provide a a very specialized weather service uh, and a lot of my clients are EHS managers, safety directors uh, Mm -hmm. all across the country. And the common thing that I, the common thing that I hear from them is Mm -hmm. that they don't have a good sense of when there is going to be a weather threat, or what they should do? Is it actually for them? Is it just in their county? And so mm-hmm. one of the one of the issues that they have, of course, is is just getting the right information and being fully aware. At the same time, a lot of people in this role really didn't get training specifically for emergency management. In That's fact, true. a lot of people, as you as you know, uh, they mm-hmm. have to draw up some kind of a response plan, and right. they're wearing many hats. I mean, you know, EHS—just those initials—means uh, environment, health, safety. So they're kind of look, they're kind of spread out a little bit thin. Yeah, you're as, Exactly, they they have to wear lots of different hats. And at some point somebody said, hey, uh, you need to be responsible in case we have bad weather. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they kind of go, oh, what do I do? So they may not have the specialized training that they need to really be the best that they can be in this particular part of their role. And a lot of them focus on the day-to-day activities. And so when an emergency happens, well, Mm -hmm. they now have to spring into that disaster response mode, which again, Exactly, and they just may not have a lot of experience doing that. Um, And it
0: would help to have a system that can tell me when I need to spring into action versus having to design the system as well as the protocols, right?
1: Exactly, you you need to have a reliable system and you need to have a way to communicate with all of the key decision makers about what is your emergency response, what triggers what actions, right? Uh, For instance, we have clients who when they get Information that there's a watch in place, they put mm-hmm. certain policies and procedures in place. Maybe they start staffing a break room with extra supplies in case they may have to be there for a while. Right. Um, all the things that people don't think about the long term consequence of uh, some kind of emergency when it when it when it comes to weather. Uh, a lot of times we think we know what's going on, but it's it's in the after action that you then learn your most valuable lessons that you can take in to the next situation.
0: We do a post-mortem after the fact, but all of us can, you know, we could complain about Tom Brady in the field and said why did he make that pass? But we weren't on the field with him.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean?
0: We weren't on the field with him. So it's I guess easier. my next question is, given the, the increasing severity and, and frequency of climate-related disasters, is the EHS feel adapting quickly enough in terms of technology, software? Whenever we can talk about AI, right?
1: Right. So I, I think that a lot of people um, have this perception about the weather that, well, these are one-off events, you know that that we're experiencing. And when you look at it from a bigger perspective, they're not. Mm-hmm. The heat waves mm-hmm. are lasting longer. I saw an interesting stat just the other day that you know Phoenix. Everyone's talking about this big heat wave going on in Phoenix. Right. Uh, where the temperature has been over 110 degrees for, I don't know, 50, 60 days, however long it's been. Right. But, the, but the the point is that one detail that's left out in that is that the overnight low temperatures are now averaging 90, whereas they used to average 80. That's a big oh, difference. And yeah, exactly. And then when you think about the flooding events that have been occurring around the country, so, so these are not just one-offs. They're, they're sort of, quote-unquote, the new normal and people okay. need to start thinking about okay what do we need to do differently than what we have been doing in terms right. of knowing when to shut down knowing when to shelter uh maybe mm-hmm. that's going to be a longer duration event what kind of supplies do we need on hand um, right. so that so that they can be up to date with whatever's going on because new standards and regulations are being adapted and are being proposed so you need to kind of keep your ear to the ground about what what does that mean for my industry, whatever your industry happens to be.
0: That's true. And I think as technology begins to advance too, it's very you know crucial for us to kind of go hand in hand with that. Like don't reinvent the wheel. We need to kind of keep in tandem with advancements to make sure that we're keeping up with all of these conveniences. We're using them for the right reasons. That's exactly. in when in the information age. So the sooner we can get the information, the faster we can react to it or we can be proactive to it and design things to prevent these you know disasters from being too terrible now we can't control if a hurricane hits or storm or lightning but yeah. if i had the data sooner or i had warning sooner i could most definitely put things in place to make sure that i have the least amount of consequences right
1: right and and in general the foundational issue here is that people need to a get information in a timely fashion but B, they have to understand what they're being told, and there's a lot of confusion when it comes to various weather terms. So making sure that you're aware of what is a watch versus a warning versus an right. outlook—that's um, a good point. And 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 when you look at that uh, cone on TV when they say the hurricane's coming, do you understand yeah. what that what what does that mean? Does right. that mean that if you're not in the cone, you don't you can let your guard down? Right. Um, you know, when, when when you hear that there's a severe thunderstorm warning, do you think, oh, it's just
0: thunder and lightning. It's not a it's not a big yeah. deal. Or do you realize that you can have 80 mile an hour winds? So we need a way to break the information down into almost digestible or understandable pieces. It's not just yeah. about just getting that information right. I have to be able to understand the context of it.
1: Exactly. You have to understand the context. You have to understand what it means. And then you have to be able to communicate. I know i have been going over that already, but you really have to be able to communicate with all of your stakeholders to know, because again, the impact might not just be your facility. It could be downstream from you if you're in manufacturing. Well, you may not have the storm, but your upstream supplier may have the storm and now you're delayed in getting what you need to make the widgets and so forth. And so now you've got a different challenge, you know, in in terms of knowing uh, what you need to do in your environment.
0: You know, that's a good point. I don't think we often think about the direct and indirect consequences to production and operations when we think about EHS. We usually just think that EHS is a cost saver. But when you put it like that, having this kind of information about when storms are going to happen you know, sooner versus then later or faster um, than your competition could probably make a, a big difference in your supply chain.
1: Exactly. And also understanding that even though something is not happening where you are, um, mm-hmm. Again, the upstream and downstream along that supply chain can have an impact. You know, are our heat waves in the Midwest stressing the electrical grid and a, and a and a power grid and so forth, and the ability to generate energy for air conditioning and so forth. You right? Know, does that impact your business in some yeah. peripheral way?
0: Ooh, to, to I'd hate that? to be without AC in California.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> or, or even even in Minnesota where, where they're having 100 degree weather and they're oh, not gosh. really used to that. So, again, understanding your the impact of the safety is maybe going beyond the workplace, because I know that there's a new OSHA initiative that we have encouraged our clients to become aware of where they're doing spot checks for industries oh, okay. to make sure that they are providing Uh, a safe environment for their employees when there are heat advisories. So do you have the information to know? Is there a heat advisory in effect? What does it actually mean? What, what should you be doing? Should you be providing more breaks? Make sure there's more water on hand. Even if you're in an enclosed building uh, that, that doesn't mean that the risk or the threat is totally
0: diminished. Yeah. If anything, and in an enclosed building now it's, it's almost like an oven potentially, right? Because there may not be as much circulation as if you were outside.
1: Right. And again, are you are you in touch with your facilities manager to make sure that you're going to be ready for this heat wave? Um, because people might call in sick, they might become sick, and now you've got a liability on your hands. So you have to always Look. be thinking about where are the holes in my preparedness plan and how can I fill mm-hmm. those gaps?
0: Look, I would hate to get a case of heat cramps, I'll tell you that much. But it brings me to my next question here is, are certain industries underprepared for environmental emergencies due to a lack of EHS investments?
1: Well, I think that there are a couple of industries that, you know, certainly have a higher risk profile. I think about the oil and gas industry. When you think about pipeline leaks, those have, of course, environmental impacts. Um, So again, making sure that spill response, if you're in that industry, that you're up to speed with. With what you need to do there, same for the chemical industry and even right. the mining industry. I think about agriculture. Um, you know, runoff from rainfall can cause big problems in the surrounding areas. When you talk about what what gets into the water, what gets into the water supply.
0: So mm-hmm. again,
1: thinking proactively. I think that's always the key when we we look at uh, how to respond to emergencies is to be proactive as as opposed okay. to being reactive. And then you have to right. answer a lot of questions about, well, why didn't you have this? Why didn't you have that? Um, right. You know, so and certainly in in the cases of the construction industry, uh, you know, we just heard uh, as we were recording this, you were sharing with me the story of a crane that that, that collapsed in New York City. Um, you know, and when we hear these kind of things, the first question is, well, gee, I thought they had protections in place. I thought that they were able to withstand certain wind loads. And we don't know all the details yet about what actually happened in that case, but it raises questions naturally, because we just assume that, well, that should not be taken care of. That's not my problem. Well, not not only that, but that that should not happen um, unless there was an extraordinary wind event. So, again, Mm -hmm. how proactive would you need to be to know that there might be such an event if you have construction assets that are sensitive to wind or rain, et cetera?
0: That's a good point. My last question here is: What role does EHS play in the aftermath of a disaster? Are there responsibilities that are, you know, often overlooked?
1: Yeah, I think that you know, after after an after a disaster, um, being able mm-hmm. to do a, a adequate assessment and risk analysis is really key because that will drive your response for the next incident, right? Sure. So having having a way to quickly assess what happened. What what failed or what worked well? You know, how mm-hmm. can we improve a process that is working well? A lot of times we just want to find the problems, but we fail to celebrate the victories, celebrate right. the things that we're doing right, and then communicating that to a larger audience to make sure that people know, hey, we're on top of it. We're not going to be caught with our pants down when this situation happens or that situation happens because we have a process in place, we have a mechanism in place. Um, being able to make sure that uh, the emergency responders and the volunteers are equipped with the right protective equipment, so that you know they can follow those safety protocols, is really important. Making sure that if you're an EHS professional, that you're involved in any kind of environmental remediation that might need to go on after a disaster. Um, you know, unfortunately, the world we live in is fraught with a lot of things that fall under the category of disaster some of which we have no control over and sure. others of which we think we have control over but we don't <laughs> i'm talking about things like active shooter and you know these these kinds of things that you know we we just don't always see coming the way that we might perhaps see a, a weather event coming and that's so yeah and, and so that's that's the other thing also is making sure that you have support from the local community uh, for your for your industry, so that they are also not looking to you for the blame, <laughs> but they're right. looking to you for the answers or for education about what you're doing again to keep the workers who are members of that community safe uh, and, and and keeping everybody you know calm, as you said in your introduction. So the, the, those are some of the things that I think that an EHS person can be involved in after the situation with some, some kind of large scale disaster. You know, I, I think back to the unfortunate incident that happened in Kentucky at the end of 2021 with the candle factory that was damaged. And we unfortunately started, that. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people did cause it was a big outbreak yeah. right, right before Christmas. And, you know, we started hearing stories that some of the workers were being told that, you know they have to work even though they were under a tornado warning. Right. and I don't know and I don't know all the details of that particular situation but just hearing reports like that is is troubling so you want to make sure you're out ahead of that information and making sure that uh you're being transparent about what what is happening uh transparent mm-hmm. to your community outreach so that people don't perceive you as hiding information or not being right. forth not being forthcoming and that if you do need to change a policy you change
0: it Transparency breeds trust.
1: Absolutely. And trust
0: helps keep people calm.
1: Exactly.
0: That makes perfect sense. Jeez. Well, Gene, any last words before we wrap up? I think this has been really informative, and I hope everyone is keeping in mind um, the way that having that information, especially weather services information, automating some of those processes for your triggers for emergencies, especially severe weather emergencies, is very important, very crucial it makes your life a lot easier and then you could really focus on protecting your people and being proactive
1: right, right. And, that's, and and that's really the hallmark of what the company I represent weather Call does is we we give ehs managers safety directors facilities managers people with that role and responsibility of uh safeguarding uh hundreds of lives in a in a in a building that doesn't have any windows <laughs> in most <laughs> in most cases. Uh, Giving them the proactive tools that they need to make sure that they know what to do or that they that they know that a dangerous weather situation dangerous weather situation is unfolding. You know, when you're in that yeah. building without windows, you're focused on your job, right? Um right. you shouldn't be spending all of your time staring at your phone trying to figure out the colored right. blobs and what they all mean. Um, you, you really should be getting information that's targeted for you, that gives you the site specific details that you need and allows you to communicate effectively throughout your organization about what to do and that's what we do at weather call if you're interested you can go to weathercallservices.com to learn more about how we help industry with our enterprise service so um it's been a pleasure talking to you today and I, I really awesome. enjoy i really enjoy what you're what you're doing and how you're reaching this audience uh perhaps of unsung heroes you know A lot of people don't think of the EHS manager as the hero, but he can be. He or she can
0: be. Hey, just give me a little cape and I might fly away. (laughs) All right, Jake. I really appreciate it, folks. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you all next time. Until then, keep safe.